Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Um, My guest today is Nancy Pearl. Nancy was recommended to me by multiple listeners. They said, you've got got to try to get her on. She's going to be difficult. She's hard to reach. Um, Good luck. No, I'm kidding. Um, But multiple listeners said we should try to get Nancy Pearl on the show. Reached out to you, Nancy. You you were kind enough. You responded pretty pretty quickly, frankly, and I appreciate that. So, kind of try to introduce you. And this is from this is what's impressive. This is from your Wikipedia page, which I did not write. I know you didn't. That's the whole point. You can't you can't write your own Wikipedia. I tried. I tried to give myself a Wikipedia. No, I kid. You can't do this. So it, I'm just going to read a little bit. Nancy Pearl is an American librarian, best-selling author, literary critic, and the former executive of the Washington Center for the Book at Seattle Public Library. Okay, going to bounce over here to the Seattle Times article where the headline reads, Nancy Pearl, Seattle's most famous librarian, looks back on a lifetime of books. Nancy, as I've read about you, you realized at 10 that you wanted to be a librarian. As a 10 year old, I was an avid reader. I am an avid reader. I was an avid reader. Uh, I grew up in Tacoma and we had a summer book club and uh, the library that I, my, my mom and dad and I went to uh, for like four years running, I read more books than every other kid in that library, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I have this kind of interest that at 10, and you grew up in Detroit, and this is a really long introduction, isn't it? But basically, can we can we just talk about that for a second? At, at 10, how about really quickly, between 10 and college, did you ever change your mind? Did you ever think, I wanted to be an astronaut or, or, or something else? Well, certainly not an astronaut because okay. uh, physics, you know, beyond me. <laughs> Um, but I didn't change my mind. I, I had one when I was in college, I was really um, taken with Noam Chomsky's theory of English grammar, the transformational grammar that, that his, you know, that was being developed then. And I really thought, wow, wouldn't that be great to go to MIT and, you know, get a doctorate and do all that. And then I realized that, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm pretty smart, but I'm not an intellectual, and I don't respond to things analytically. I respond okay. to them viscerally all the time, okay. um, and and then I immediately knew that I had to be a librarian, and I wanted to be a librarian because I wanted to be a children's librarian because my childhood library, the Parkman Branch Library in Detroit, Michigan in the Northwest part of Detroit, um, those librarians were so good to me. They were really, you know, I was really a, an un, miserably unhappy child. Didn't I never wanted to go home. Um, and they just were kind to me. And I thought, 
I want to do for other kids. I mean, they opened the world, especially Miss Whitehead, just opened the world to me. And she would come up to me. I mean, all I read were horse and dog books when she met me. I was like 10, 9 or 10. <laughs> and, you know, I... In fact, if you and I, Scott, went to the Park and Branch Library, I could show you where in the library, in the children's section of the library, the horse and dog books were kept because they were pulled out of the regular children's fiction collection. Anyway, Miss Whitehead would say, she, you know, she would come up to me and she would say, Nancy, we just got in a brand new horse book. Do you want to be the first person in this library to read <laughs> this book? And I would say, yes and you know i'd hold my hands out for the book and she'd say oh wait a second there's a book i want you to read first and then she would she was canadian she loved british children's fiction and okay. so by that sort of um you know by that method right bait and switch the first example of bait and switch i think that i ever encountered um you know she she gave me the mary poppins book she gave me the hobbit she gave me you know the uh, swallows and amazon series all this british fiction and the best of the children's fiction she had me read all the newberry award winners and you know all my all my interests were really helped to develop by you know, by Miss Whitehead. And so that's what I wanted. And, you know, in fact, I, I did become a children's librarian. And my first job after library school at the University of Michigan was back at the Detroit Public Library. And I would have given a lot if I could have worked with Miss Whitehead at the Parkman uh. Branch Library. But Instead, I, you know, I, that was not to be, but I worked on the bookmobile and, and I was her colleague, you know, till, until she died. And, you know, that was very, very meaningful to me. That's awesome. Now, somewhere in my research, I read this part, it kind of, I think will end up be a nice bridge, but basically when you were 13, I think it was, she introduced you to the adult librarians. Did. And the first book that you checked out was Gone with the Wind. It was. And so I'm, I'm, I kind of have this, this mental vision of, you know, you being escorted over <laughs> and handed off to the yeah. care of, of other librarians and her work with you is done now. And <laughs> you are now being shepherded over to this side of the library and, to and that's this world. exactly the way it was. I mean, it was, the, you know, it was the library is built was kind of based on a Carnegie library model, although it was not a Carnegie library where you entered and you, what you saw right in front of you was the, um, the checkout desk, the circulation desk. And then on one side was the children's room and on the other side was the adult room. And Ms. Whitehead actually, my memory has walked me over <laughs> and said, you know, I want you to meet blah, blah, blah. And just turned me loose. Now, regretfully, I think she, you know, was sad about it because not because, you know, it wasn't anything like she didn't want me to read certain books or anything like that, but, you know, that she didn't want me to give up the children's books that she okay. and I loved so much. And I didn't. Okay. So, so, so why, and the, no, well, I won't, I'm, I'm leading you in a direction. So why the university of Michigan? Oh, well, where, you know, it was, it was, well, first of all, I got a scholarship there okay. so that, that paid for my library school. Okay. And second of all, it was a very good library school, Michigan 
you know, I graduated, my undergraduate degree was from there. My husband, I mean, I, you know, my husband was getting his doctorate there. So just, you know, there was no place else I would want to go. All right. So this is the question I have for you. Yes. Um, Are you willing to sing the Ohio State (laughs) fight song? (laughs) I hate Ohio State. Okay. I mean, yep. I, I, I mean, you could always, yeah, I, when I, <laughs> I go on these daily long walks okay. and I always wear my Michigan cap, you know, which is just an M. The M. What mm-hmm. you say when you meet another Michigan person is go blue. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there's a lot of people in the Seattle area who have gone blue and mm-hmm. it's just so much fun. Um, so to what, what do you do that. if you see an Ohio State? Yeah, right. I avert my eyes. You go the other side of the street. You go right, across. Right. Okay. But I have to say, I was I was waiting for the Apple Store to open a, a few years ago, and you know, I went in there, and this person said, "Well, I, I really." This guy, young guy, said, "Well, I'm I don't really want to help you." And I said, "Really? Why? You know, because I'm like your grandmother or something?" And he said, "No." He said, I went to Ohio State. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But of course, he did help me. He was very of nice. Of course. No, it's, it's, it's good. I went to Central Washington University here. Okay. So I can root for or against the Huskies and the Cougars. You know, I, it's, I can jump on whatever bandwagon without any any sort of guilt. But my friends that went to the UW or went to WSU, man, it splits households apart during apple cup week you know it's it's kind of fun and and i like the whole college rivalry thing so when you were at michigan did you ever go to a football game there um yes i you know roger staubach was the navy quarterback and and when michigan played navy i think when i was a junior i think i got tickets to that and and then my the apartment that my husband and I had was within walking distance of the football stadium, okay. so you couldn't leave on Saturdays on football <laughs> Saturdays because you could never get a parking place until long after the game was over. Because if memory serves me, doesn't that stadium hold over a hundred thousand people? Yeah, it's, I think one hundred and three thousand. And it's massive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was, I had, I was, I had to teach about the Ohio. I was a gamble on the Ohio state. I could have picked somebody else, but you know, figured Ohio <laughs> right. state was probably a safe arch rival. Yeah, totally. So you, you, you ended up in Oklahoma. Right. And when, one of the questions I had earlier was, or where I had a question earlier, I was going to ask you, and, and, and that was the, you're on, you're on NPR here at KOW in Seattle, but you're also in Tulsa. And I didn't, didn't draw the connection there that, Oh, that's Oklahoma. Makes sense. Um, and you raised your family in Oklahoma. Right. And then you were kind of given a, a job opportunity that, that many people probably wouldn't have taken because your husband stayed in Oklahoma for four years to finish up his, because right. he was a professor at that time. And you came to Seattle. So, what were your first years in Seattle like? What, what, because this is the Washington state thing. So like, what did you, you, you know, you grew up in Detroit, you've been in Tulsa. I don't know if you'd ever been out here to Seattle and I'm in Wenatchee, so I'm not out there, but um, I don't know that you had ever, had you been to Seattle before? 
Yes, I okay. was I came to Seattle because my younger daughter dropped out of college after her sophomore year at the University of Chicago and moved out here okay. because her high school drama teacher was here and said, oh, Katie, you can sleep on the floor, you know, in my apartment. So Katie did all of the, um, you know, worked at the market and okay. waited on tables at the crocodile, you know, all of okay. that. Okay. Um, and so I came out to see Katie and, um, and the reason, I mean, the job offer came from somebody that I had worked with in Pulse at the library who had come out here to be the assistant director of the Seattle library. And so when I came out, of course, I saw him, you know, we got together to, you know, just sort of, cause we were good friends. And he said, you know, Nancy, what if I come up with a job that does, you know, let you do everything that you're good at doing and you don't have to do anything that you're bad at doing. And there are many things that I'm bad at doing, okay. which you knew about, um, but okay. the that I was good at doing, you know, sort of made a good fit for being the director of the Washington Center for the book, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I am good at doing is talking about books and, okay. you know, and um, talking about without hectoring or lecturing, talking about, you know, the joy of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so those first few years were spent doing, um, going out to, to book clubs, meeting with book club, meeting with book clubs, um, talking to book, I always said I was like a book club social worker, you know, that people <laughs> would ask me, you know, they would, they all had the same, basically the same two issues. One was there was always somebody in the group that talked too much and, you know, how could they handle that? And then the other thing is, you know, what makes a book good for a book group? And I had, <laughs> I had opinions on both those things. So I spent a lot of time going to various book groups all through King County. Um, And then speaking at different libraries, I remember the first person who asked me to come speak was the director of the Everett Library. Um, And of course, this was way before MapQuest or any of these things. And so I, I had this, this kind of record that I would never you know, I would get to the place and then I would never go back the same way because of my inability to follow a map and to sort of understand if you turned right to get to somewhere, then to get back, you turn left. So I, you know, I, I appreciated roads like the Bell Red Road that goes, you know, between Bellevue and Redmond because it, you know, spoke for itself. Um, but I went to, I, I still meet people who talk about, you know, I came to their book group and, um, well, that's... and that was a long time ago because, you know, I've been here t- almost 30 years in wow. Maine. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, I went to the Tacoma library um, a couple times the, to the, the main do, branch, the big the one, the big Carnegie one. Yeah. Book clubs, yeah. I had to mm-hmm. do book talks and, um, yeah. And, and it really, it was just to get people to help people realize, and most people knew this, but you know, that the library is a central, you know, is a central 
is the most important public building, certainly in, mm -hmm. in any in any city of any size. So, yeah, you know, and the wonders that the library had. And then I very soon after, well, sort of maybe five years after I got there, I started teaching part time at the um, you that at UW's now information school. Okay. So anyway, that's what I did. That's so you moved to Seattle in the nineties when the the music scene was at its pinnacle, probably for Seattle. Uh, Seattle was a very different city then than it is now. Um, I was living in Seattle at, at that time, and uh, I loved living in Seattle. I I, I loved. Uh, I loved living in, in Seattle. I had a great little place in West Seattle on the water um, that I had a duck to go through the doorways. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a little beach cabin. And it was, <clears throat> I remember people thinking I was crazy because I paid $600 a month rent. Um, you know, yeah. now it'd be, who knows what it'd be, but it was a lot. But so here's a question I have. I mean, I got, I got so many questions, but this is a question I have. So you... I don't want to say you're a librarian, like in as a as a as a a moniker to like hang on your shoulders and say you're a librarian, but you're you're a librarian. You worked in in the in libraries a number of years, and yet you have a Wikipedia page. There's a TED Talk that you've done. TEDx, right? Archie McPhee puts together the librarian superhero modeled after you, right? How did the University of Michigan prepare you for these things? I kid, but what, how did you, right? You, you know, do you remember that, you know, that old book about, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Right. right. Just do what you love. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to um, have as my supervisors especially the guy who came here to be the assistant director, um, you know, who appreciated what I could do. Mm -hmm. And I managed to make of the job, you know, I just could tailor it to, to what I did best. Okay. And mm -hmm. I was incredibly fortunate and... Couldn't have happened to a nicer person. That's what I say. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I mean, you've won a, a number of awards. There's a um, a scholarship that's in your name for local authors. No, no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh? I, no. Um, my husband, because, you know, because the profession of being a librarian mm -hmm. really was so good to me because I loved it. My husband and I set up um, there, an endowment at the University of Washington Information School. Okay. For people who want to go into public library work. So just total random thing. What was your husband a professor of? He was a professor. He's a Buddhist. He was okay. a professor of um, uh, human development and and something called transpersonal psychology at Oklahoma State University. So he is probably the only Buddhist on the faculty. Oh, 
I got nothing so to add to that. A, he is an optimist and I am a pessimist. Oh, family dinner's got to be a lot of fun at your house. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So I am, you're, you're the first, you're the first guest I've had on that people have published your, some of your quotes. Yes. I'm taken aback by this. I've had, I've had other guests on with Wikipedia pages. I've had other guests on with Ted or TEDx talks. The, the combination of, of your portfolio, if you will, is, is really quite staggering to me. Me too. I, this is a quote that it, it, the people that know you have, they're all going to know this. I believe they're all going to know this quote, but I want to go a little deeper. So it says, I just said, well, the real people performing miracles every day are librarians. And we all laughed ourselves off our chairs. Can you put context around that for us? Well, that was that was the the start of the very first librarian action figure, um, which came out in the fall of two thousand and three, which was when the first booklust book that I wrote was published by Sasquatch, both in the month of September. And um, the librarian action figure came about because um, the head of Archie McPhee, the owner of Archie McPhee, uh, we were at a dinner party together um, and he was talking about, you know, people writing and saying that that the Jesus action figure was performing miracles for them. Okay. Um, and and that's when I said, but you know, people who really perform miracles are librarians. <laughs> and um, and then somebody else said, "Oh my God, you know, Mark, you should do a librarian action figure, and Nancy should be the model for it." And um, <laughs> and then it happened, and um, and it sold, you know, like like. A zillion copies of that first, you know, nine ninety nine or eight ninety nine action figure in two thousand and three. So, great. Mark was a, has been a guest on before, and he's a character. Yeah. And so, of what I'm picking up here, though, is that that statement coupled with Mark, what I believe Mark's personality is, yeah, it was inevitable. Once you yeah. once you said it, he was going to run with it. I mean, it, right. so. I think that's, that's hysterical. So I, I'll, I'll ask you a question that I ask authors a lot. And, and I'll ask you this question about your books too in a second. But so I'd like to ask you about this, very specifically about this action figure. Where were you the first time you saw it? Um, where was I the first time I saw it? Well, I think they had sent me photos of, you know, I went to Muckleteo to be digitized, which <laughs> if I ever write, yeah, that's a good response. If I ever write a memoir, which I'm not going to write a memoir, but if I ever did, I think that would be the first line. I went to Muckleteo to be digitized. Um, I, I don't know when I first saw it, but I have to say that that night as we were driving home, my husband said to me, you know, that dinner party night when somebody said, oh, you should be the, um, my husband said, his four favorite words to me. Now, you know, there are people, I'm sure there are husbands who have, you know, <laughs> different four favorite four words that they okay. say to their wives. My husband's four favorite words to me are, 
Nancy, think this through. <laughs> and he said, Nancy, think this through. Do you really want to be a five-inch, non-biodegradable plastic action figure? And I said, oh, you know, my, my response to everything is, oh, don't even think about it. It'll never happen. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, it happened. It happened. And, and not only did it happen, it was a hit. It was so hit. much so that they've come out with an updated version. Yeah. I just two, think two updated versions. Two updated, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 That's, I'm sorry. That's just, it's, it's, you're, you're the first guest that's had an action figure. It's I don't know that I don't know that I'm going to have other guests with action figures. I, I don't know. I, I just think right. that I think, I think my career as a podcast host is, is complete now. I think we can just, <laughs> well, people always ask, you know, people often refer to it as a bobblehead and I would never have done a bobblehead. It's not a bobblehead. No, you know, it, it it's totally not, a, not a, it's not a bobblehead. No. So, did you did you buy a, did you buy a bunch and give them away? Did you send them to your Did you send them to people? <laughs> I did not have to do that because other people were you know people have said Do you know how many action figures I got when I graduated from library school? Because it was a perfect you know. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Right, oh. Right. Oh. So and the big the the one of the things that people the big criticism was they didn't like what I was wearing because they thought it was dowdy. And in fact, it was, you know, a very nice outfit for Eileen Fisher, you know, which yeah, I nice. had, and which doesn't translate into plastic very <laughs> So that's why when we did, when we did the latest one with the cape, um, then I could wear jeans, so, which is what I mostly wear. Um, so people didn't like how dowdy it was. And, you know, that was just ridiculous. But, but, but Okay. When I was a young kid, uh, I, I don't recall, and I, and I went to a lot of libraries. I mean, you know, I don't recall any librarian necessarily being a, a fashion plate. And that's fine. And they were kind of more subtle. So I don't know that that's, and I haven't. I, I haven't been in a physical library in a number of years. I take my mom to the Wenatchee library regularly on, so that she can get books. But so this is a quite, this is totally, this is where like, I think I warned you, like we're going to go off the rail. So I have a, this is a, you may, you may choose not to respond to this question. What is your opinion? Is it, is it good? It's not, it's not, I'm not trying to make this a black or white question. So, but, but I'm going to get, is, is the, and, and I'm going to use the, the, the name of a specific thing here, but it applies to all platforms. Is the Kindle reader good for books or is it harmful? Oh, I, I think it's, um, I actually think it's good for books. I think it's good for reading. Um, I'm, you know, I, I very seldom sleep the whole night through and spend many hours reading on my Kindle in the middle of the night. So I don't have to turn on a light to read for a physical book. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a new, maybe it's neutral, maybe it's neither good nor bad. Um, it certainly adds a different dimension. Um, there are books there. Are, I, I don't read 
let's see. I love my Kindle because I can underline in it. Okay. And I don't like writing in physical books. Um, okay. So, you know, there's that. There are people who find that reading nonfiction, the author, um, um, an author that I talked to said that he loves reading nonfiction on his Kindle because he can underline and that makes it, you know, easier. Mm -hmm. But for me, what I tend to read on Kindle are, are just kind of books, you know, mysteries. Uh, a summer beach type book, if you will. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't normally go that, that far. Okay. <laughs> but um yeah that kind of book so, so i remember remember when e-readers were coming out and they yeah. weren't really standard and i was like who no I, I want books i want a book i want to hold the book i i will never i will never do that right that's all i read on and it's I mean, yeah i mean the bad thing about it not bad, but an unfortunate side effect of the Kindle is that you don't have to go to the library, you know, and you, and you can get library books. I mean, the, the, I, that's wonderful. And it was certainly wonderful. All the eBooks that are available that, that libraries have, it was certainly wonderful during the pandemic when libraries were closed. Um, but you know, the danger is that people get out of the habit of going to the library. And and there are books like last night I was reading this amazing, heartbreaking novel called I Am the Light of This World by a writer named Michael Parker. Um, this came out last year, I think fall of 2022, and I hadn't read it. Um, and I started reading it in the middle of the night. And then I realized that I needed to see the physical book because I, 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 it was just so gorgeously written and so heartbreaking that okay. I didn't, that reading it on a Kindle wasn't it doing it any favors, you know? So, so I go back and forth, um, you know, when I travel, like everybody now, I take, you know, I take my Kindle and not any physical books. Well, you can carry, I think I have 3000 books on my account, you know, right. it's just, you know, it's like the good thing about that is that I have 3000 books on the account. The bad thing is I have 3000 books on the account. Right. I don't, I, I tend to feel even more distracted because I've got other choices waiting. If this doesn't grab me, grab me at the moment, I jump over to something else. Right. <clears throat> All right. And I also listen. I'm a huge audio book person, and I, I sometimes I think that I love listening to books even more than I love reading them. But going back to that same Michael Parker book, "I Am the Light of This World," I don't think I, I don't think I could listen to it because I needed to savor the words in a way that it's hard to savor when you're listening. I was going to just ask you about audiobooks and, mm -hmm. and, and books. Have you ever um, read a book and then listened to the audio or vice versa? Have you ever consumed the often? 
Okay. So to yeah. me, it's, it's, it's oftentimes a very different experience. Um, I read, <clears throat> well, actually I listened to it first was a gentleman in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful book to listen to a, a truly beautiful book. I, I enjoyed the story a great deal. And then I bought the, the, the Kindle book and I enjoyed it in a, com- in a completely different way. And it was, it was good that way too. And yeah. as much as I, this can be not a good thing in some ways, maybe, but I kind of hope that that ends up being a movie. Cause I think it's a, I think it's a great story that would do well on the screen too. But that was the first book for me that I went, I'm, boy, these are just very, they're the same. It's the same story. It's the same words going through my brain and triggering different, different thoughts and emotions. And so now when I find a book, I tend to read first most of the time, but then I'll go grab the audio copy of it and, mm-hmm. and listen to it, or at least try to listen to it. I think right. I read very fast. So an audio book kind of can get, it can kind of drag sometimes. Other times it's, it's even better, but yeah. So you, so you do the audiobook thing too. Okay. And mostly the audiobooks that I do are books that I've already read. Okay. Um, and then mostly would see my, when you're reading a book, when you're physically reading a book, the it's between you and the author, you mm-hmm. know, the two of you are creating the book that you read. And, and when you're listening, you've now added a third person into that conversation. And so often, whether you like a book or not, will depend on whether you like the reader. So, you know, one of my all time favorite authors to listen to and to read is Terry Pratchett. I don't know mm-hmm. if you read any of his long any, time ago. Yeah, yeah. So I probably listen to the, you know, maybe 12 Terry Pratchett books that are my favorite, uh, you know, once a year at least, okay. because y- y- just listening, you can really even, you can appreciate the, you know, the humor mm-hmm. and the satire even more than you can when you're, uh, when you're reading. So, to reread something um go do it audio through my listening audio where how do you consume audiobooks i mean do you have it on your phone or do you play yeah so i do these sort of monster walks i'm a late adopter of audiobooks Mm -hmm. well after everybody else was listening sure Um, but especially during the pandemic, well, I'm, I would say maybe the last five or six years, I've been doing these long, like seven and a half mile walks every day. Um, oh. and, and I listen to books. Um, okay. And, you know, when you're listening to a Terry Pratchett book and you don't want it to end and you don't want to stop, you just walk a little further. Um, another author that I listen to over and over and over again is a woman named Georgette Hayer, who is kind of the best known. Um, well, she invented the Regency romance. Okay. Um, 
and but she was a fantastic historian as well. Anyway, so I listened to all of those and and that's one way that I can consume all of these books. Like right now I'm going through you know, I've read all of the Agatha Christie books several times, Agatha Christie mystery several times, but now I'm listening to her oof. Um, and because they're all like six or seven hours long, I have arranged my life in such a way that I can basically do a book a day if I want to. So I, you know, consume a lot on these walks and then, um, you know, because I'm basically retired. So I spend a lot of time doing a thousand piece jigsaw puzzles, which also means that I can listen um, when I'm doing the jigsaw puzzles. All so right. do you listen, do you ever speed them up? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, tried I, that oh, I was going to say I stick in like a basketball podcast Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, because <laughs> that's when what my favorite podcaster is on. Um, so I have to stick that in, which is probably slowing down <clears throat> a little bit, the, the right. getting through her oeuvre. All right. So I was going to bring this up later, but you, you, you dropped yeah. the ball, so to speak. Ha. Huh. When we talked on the phone, you, you said to me, you don't listen to a lot of podcasts, right? but you listen to a football right. and a basketball podcast. Right. And I'm stereotyping you. That's not what I would have expected you to say you were listening to. So, and you also said you like pro football and pro basketball. Right. We might have a little bit of friction here because I'm a longtime Sonics fan and I feel very bitter about that. Oh, well, me too. Who, who, who are you following? Who's your, I'll put you on the spot. Who's your favorite NBA team? Oh, my favorite NBA team? Golden State, and and uh, and because because of the a lot because of the coach because I think Steve Kerr is absolutely just wonderful, and um, <laughs> I think I can tell that's not your favorite. I will too close to Seattle, you know. It's just, but okay, the Golden State Warriors. Okay, what about your favorite football team? Um, well, the Detroit Lions. Well, see, like, I was thinking maybe you were going to say the Detroit Pistons, to be fair. Was, oh, I, yeah, you know, but um, really, I what what I like about about football and basketball, I'm like in it for the for the people, okay. like what I for the soap opera. Somebody once said that. <laughs> You know, I, I'm like in it for the soap opera. So, I, I mean, I want Golden State to win and I want the Lions to win, but I don't really care. You know, I just like finding out, you know, I like the fact that Clay Thompson, you know, came back from these two, you know, more than two years debilitating right. injuries. I mean, I... I'm interested in, I, I'm just interested, you know, I'm interested in people mm -hmm. in general. Okay. You know, um, and, I, and I don't know any of these, these people at all, but I, I like, <laughs> you know, I'm a character person. I'm okay. a character person in my reading and I'm a character person in my, in my life. 
like the, like the baristas at my Starbucks that I go to every day mm-hmm. because it's halfway on my seven mile right. journey. I mean, I'm like their grandmother, you know, like I, I just, I love them and okay. they love me and I care about them, you know, and I know about them. And it's, you know, very hard when one leaves because, you know, like, oh my gosh. So, so I just like, I'm interested in people and yeah. Do you, so how do you consume sports TV? Do you like to go to games in person? Do you listen to it on the radio? Um, I, I, TV, like, I don't like to go out at all of the house. Okay. So other than the seven mile walk every day, other than the seven mile walk. Right. Right. Okay. So TV. So I'm, I love baseball and Uh I think I get more enjoyment out of a baseball game when I just read the stats. Yeah. The next day I, as a kid grew up, you know, my parents had a friend who had a subscription of sports illustrated and he would give me all his old sports illustrated. So I would lug them home and devour them from cover to cover. Me Me too. Um, and, you know, and then I would grab the paper and, and read, you know, the stats. It was just the stats uh, for me that it got me hooked on and the history of baseball and the, the, the characters in the, in the sport, not always good characters. So you mentioned Steve Kerr, which, you know, I'll give you credit. He seems, he seems like a good human being. Is there one athlete that you current or past that you would like to sit down and have a meal with? Um, hmm, good question. Um, I, 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 there isn't anybody that comes to mind. Okay. I mean, I think like going to dinner with Greg Popovich mm. and Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. that would be really interesting. Okay. Um, I know as soon as we stop this, I'm going to think of somebody that I would love to meet. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I, I'm going to share this one. This is, um, so back in the, in the nineties for fun, I worked at Egghead software. You remember Egghead software back Uh in the nineties and I worked at the store over on Bellevue in Bellevue by, by the Microsoft campus. Microsoft people all the time coming in. That was fine. And there was a a game called Hardball 5, which was a baseball simulator. And when it was slow in the store, we'd load up a copy of it. And me and another guy that were, were, became good work buddies. And we would always play home run derby. Okay. So we'd be, you know, I'll be, you know, insert name of a Mariner today and you insert name of, you know, Red Sox today. And we'd see how many home runs we could hit. And so one day we were getting it set up and I turn around and in the front door of the store comes Edgar Martinez. And the guy I was working with, his name is Joey. Joey, Joey, change it to Edgar, change it to Edgar. <laughs> Edgar comes in and he's looking for software for his, his wife. And he walks over to the, to the computer. And I wish I could, I wish I could do Edgar's voice. I just can't, but you know how Edgar's got that, that, that Puerto Rican dialect, you know, just how he talks. And he goes, is that me? Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah. 
goes, can I try? Sure. So here's Edgar Martinez playing Edgar Martinez. <laughs> and it was just, and so we're just standing there and, you know, this is before cell phones and this is before, you know, you know, we could live stream it and the world would become, you know, oh my gosh. And so he, he finishes up and he goes, that's pretty realistic. It looks pretty good. And so he's checking out and, and I said, Hey, can I bug in? He goes, yeah, what's up? I go, can you autograph a box for me? He goes, sure. So he autographed, and we go, hey, just autograph them all. He, he autographed all the boxes in the store. Wow. I would love to sit down with Edgar Martinez and repeat that story because I remember like it was yesterday. He probably won't. Right. But Edgar, if you're listening, I've tried to reach you. Please come on the show. Um, <laughs> but that's for me, Edgar Martinez would be the, or Roberto Clemente mm -hmm. um, would be my two. So you're a book person. You're a librarian. You're a superhero. Not that these are mutually exclusive, but how did you get into sports? Oh, you know, um, well, I grew up, you know, I grew up in Detroit when, when the Tigers were pretty good. And I, okay. we did go to Tiger Stadium occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, my father was a huge roller derby fan. Oh, um, okay. And so we, my sister and I became huge roller derby fans too that we would watch on television you know the whip and and again it's it's the roller derby you know it's the people mm -hmm. but you know the women who were roller derby you know doing roller derby then and you know it's their stories and their background and all of that and so that um that was how um that was that was pretty much how i think was you know roller derby um the pistons um isaiah thomas you know the bad boys right michigan you know the fab five all of that yeah oh, you've um, had that 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 detroit area had a i mean that the, we won't talk about the tigers right now but right um, right had great great success in the and the lions i'm sorry the lions aren't yeah they'll be good this year though they're, they're, they're kind of like a jinxed team or something they just can't seem to catch a break kind of like the mariners were for 21 years right, um, right. so i just think it's i just think i when i was when you mentioned sports on the first phone call i was just like <laughs> huh? and it, it, i think it's so the podcast that you listen to what is it about the podcast are they are they team specific podcasts or are they league specific or well i did used to listen to um team specific podcasts okay but then I decided, well, the one that I listen to now pretty much is um, I'm the only basketball podcast that I'm listening to currently is um, the Hoop Collective, which okay. is Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays okay. now. Um, Brian Windhorse is the host, and, and there's, you know, not a lot of, you know, good old boys you know, ha, ha, ha. I mean, there's a lot about people, you know, the football players and what's happening and, uh, you know, and what's going to happen. And I think I, you know, I listen to that. Okay. Um, I, and then I, I listen to the, you know, the NFL today. Okay. Which, um, so you know, you... start listening to football in the off season. Oh, it is. See, I enjoy football in the off season. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm kind of enjoying this whole free agency thing right now. And yeah. Yeah. The, the hope that 
the Seahawks will, I don't know, make a big splash in the draft. You know, it, yeah, it's like spring training for baseball. It's like they're undefeated. They're they they're gonna win it all, and then they right. go out and they don't. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> you're uh, you're also you're a writer. I'm. And you're a reviewer. You have a TV show. We'll call it a TV right. show. You started writing years ago, right? Yes. Okay. What was the what was the inspiration to be to be a writer? Besides besides a reader, but writing. So um so when I was a kid. I, I wrote, you know, okay. I wrote poetry mainly mm -hmm. and, you know, and got certain awards for that. And, but poetry just sort of came naturally to me. It was something mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I mean, they weren't bad poems for, you know, a depressed 13 year old. Um, and, and so I wrote poetry all through college and then into my 30s, I was still writing poetry, but then the lines that came into my head were not, did not seem to me to be lines of poetry. They seemed to me to be lines of prose. And okay. so for, you know, a long, long, long time, I have not written any poetry. Okay. Um, Do you think that that might happen again? I don't know. That's, that's, it's interesting. Okay. Um, so the lines are still prose right now for you. The lines seem to be still prose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have one unfinished poem <laughs> from like 30 years ago. Uh, that do, you I ever, do you ever go back and look at it? And Yeah. I think about it all the time. Do you? And I think about, nothing in 30 years is. What to do with it. Yeah. Nothing's popped in in 30 years. No. Uh -uh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the book lust books, the four books of book recommendations, mm -hmm. that was the really the brainchild of the um, then a, a, an editor at Sasquatch Books here in Seattle, Gary Luke, called me and said, um, you know, because I was then on KUOW and just doing, you know, sort of making a, a kind of name for myself doing book, you know, talking about books. And he said, you know, I really, I'd love it if you could do just a book of book recommendations, you know, 300, 300 different quirky categories, 300 words, you know, in each category. And I mean, it just seemed like, you know, I just sort of sat at my computer and looked at my bookshelves and came up with categories and it was so much fun to write and um and then followed that up with more book lust mm -hmm. which is really <clears throat> just an awful you know what a boring title i had wanted it to be called book lust to the morning after um <laughs> but but you know they felt that wasn't such a good idea so it was book lust more book lust and then I did one for kids called Book Crush, and then I did Book Lust to Go, which is ad adventure, tr you know, travel, adventure, right. armchair travel, all of that. And so um, those four, you know, those were just great. The last one was Book Lust to Go was published I, I, in 2010. 
Um, But they're just, you know, they're all my favorite books. I love them. I love all the books there. So I I know what I'm about to ask you. It's probably not impossible, but it's probably going to be darn difficult. Over your lifetime, how many books do you think you've completed? Read oh. all the way through. Because one of the things you talk about is not having to read a book just because you started it. And right. I love your, and I'm going to ask you to just, you have this little formula. Right. So, but through your years of reading. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just said you, you 300 books and they were, you looked around your house. So I've got this vision that you've got a lot of books. I mean, you're sitting yeah. in front of a book. Now, that was, you know, I looked at the books on the shelf and they reminded me of other books. Okay, but, but I, the point, yeah, but I'm not a book collector in okay. any way, shape, or form. Even though you're sitting in front of a bookcase right now. Anyway, right. Okay. Right. So how many, what do you, what do you think? Do you have a, a wild guess? No. Uh-uh. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. So. This I mean, qu- basically, Scott, that is all that I have ever done is, mm-hmm. you right. know, period. I'm, I, you know, I'm no good at parties or anything like that because all I can talk about is books. Okay. I think you're being a little too hard on yourself. Well. So can you please explain your, your, your formula yes. to the audience? Yes. So um, my belief is that you should not force yourself to finish a book if you're not enjoying it. And on KUOW, um, Steve Scher, who was the host that I was on most frequently with, we every like once a month, we would do an hour show and we would take phone calls. And one day this woman called and said, you know, I'm reading this book that I'm not liking, but I feel like I feel too guilty to give up on it. How many pages should I read before I can? So I came up with this, you know, I mean, basically like for a joke, Mm -hmm. although it has been taken so seriously now um, that if you're, if you're 50 and under, you should give a book 50 pages. And at the bottom of page 50, you should ask yourself, am I enjoying this book? And if you are, go on and read it. If you're not enjoying it, stop. You know, um, I, the government knows a lot about us, but they don't know whether we've returned a book unfinished to the library or not. You know. Well, now with ebooks, they probably do. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, but this was like pre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. And then I, and then, you know, if all you care about, you know, you're like at 50 pages and you wonder, well, who the murderer is, turn to the last page, you know, or maybe all you care about is who marries whom, turn to the last page. I mean, basically, if it's not on the last page, do the penultimate page and then the anti-penultimate, you know, until you find out what it is you want to know. But there is no, I mean, reading should be a joy. Mm-hmm. It should not be a feeling that, oh, my God, I've got to get through this book. So that worked. That 50 page rule worked really well until I started getting older and then much older. And so I added a second half to that. And so if you're 51 and up, subtract your age from 100 
And that number, which gets smaller every year, as time gets shorter every year, that number is the pay, is the number you sh of pages you should read before you guiltlessly give up on a book. And then when you turn 100, you can legitimately judge a book by its cover, which I thought was pretty funny and clever. But you know, I don't know if you remember many several years ago now, Starbucks put authors' quotes on on um, their cups, and yes. so that fifty-page rule quote um, is on cup uh, a venti cup, actually sixty-nine cup sixty-nine. Are you kidding me? Nope. Oh wow! Okay, so as a reader, as you've gotten older, right? Are you less forgiving of a book? Oh my God! Yes. Okay. I mean, many is the time that I will read, I don't know, I don't know, 13 page. I mean, and not corresponding to my age, but like read. I mean, I will read a book until I get annoyed with either the authorial quirks or something about the book I'm not enjoying or it's getting too weird or scary. And okay. then I'll stop. And okay. most often now what I'll do is just read the last page to see what happens and skip all the middle, all the middle parts. It, and, but, it, but a book that I love, you know, that I'm going to be talking about on, you know, book talks to people, then mm -hmm. I read the whole book, but right. I, you know, time is really short and there's, you know, these well, are pre-publication books that. Mm -hmm. Well, so. so You've written a novel. Right. As the author of the novel, so once again, I ask these questions are not intentionally hard. I just know as soon as I'm going to say, oh my God, these are really putting the guest on the spot, but what the heck? Are you happy with the way the novel turned out? Um, I, I actually love George and Lizzie. I, and I love the characters okay. in George and Lizzie. And in many ways, um, I, you know, I was thrilled that it was published by Simon and Schuster. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, they did a great job. I had the best editor there, the person who, you know, bought the book for Simon and Schuster. She just was terrific. Okay. I mean, just absolutely wonderful. And and yet, in a way, I wish it hadn't been published because I I would love to go on writing about them. Because I I still think about George and Lizzie all the time, and the book started because I would these characters just came into my head, and I would tell myself stories about them when I was falling asleep, and just over and over and over again I would tell myself you know these stories and not writing anything down for years, and then. One one day, I was going through. You know, we go through these periodic um, times when you can't find anything good to read. You know, mm -hmm. good to read that right. you're looking for a book and there's nothing that right. satisfying that need for a particular whatever the particular kind of book is. And you know that was happening to me. And you know, I would look at my bookshelves, I would go to the bookstore, I would go to the library, I just couldn't find anything. And then I thought, 
you know, oh my God, in my head, I have a book that I would love. And I started writing, you know, that night I started, you know, I sat down and wrote, you know, the first sentence of the book, which begins, you know, chapter one, how they met. And, um, it wasn't yeah, a dark and stormy night. Yeah, right. It's a very, it's a very quirky, you know, there are people who loved it and mm -hmm. there are people who it was too character driven, you know, too. I mean, people like books and need books mm -hmm. for different reasons. Um, sure. And I was, you know, prepared for people not to like it as, okay. as a librarian and knowing my own reading of what I like and what I don't. I wrote a book that I would like to read. Now, I got to ask you, I haven't read the book, so, you know, you said in a way you wish it hadn't been published because you could keep on writing about it. What's really, why couldn't you right. tell another story with them? Yeah, right. So, so one of the things that I've been thinking about doing, you know, and I'm not thinking about that unfinished poem in my head. <laughs> Um, I think about one of the kind of minor characters in George and Lizzie. There's a guy named um, Maverick who was um, a football player, a high school football player, and then a not very successful college player. And then I thought, you know, gee, it would be really great. Or wouldn't it be fun to see him at age like 40, mm -hmm. never having become the kind of player that you know, he, he he never, never, you know, being a good high school player, but not going to Ohio State or Michigan, you know, it's set in Ann Arbor. So if he was going to go to Ohio State, he wasn't going to be a very good football right, player. Right, exactly. Okay. And he didn't go to Michigan. And, yeah. and, but he, you know, and he was kind of a journeyman football player. And when the, when, you know, and I see him now as being a podcast host, sports podcast host in Seattle. And, you know, that would give me a chance to really, you know, make fun of, you know, play with that, how much fun it would. I'm not taking any offense to this at all. No, <laughs> right. No, no. Well, you're not a sports podcast, so. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, anyway, but then I think in some ways I've locked him into a particular age and whatever because Thank of George and Lizzie. And I haven't yet figured out, or it's a lot of work to write fiction. It's okay. really hard. So anyway, but I think so, about Maverick a lot. Okay. On the Seattle channel, your book lost with Nancy Pearl. Right. You sit down and you interview authors. Right. How long have you been doing this show? Since 2004. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. What about it do you enjoy? Um, well, you've been doing it almost 20 years. Yeah, right. I enjoy talking to the authors about not necessarily focusing on the book, you know, that, that we have in front of us but just finding out the kind of people that they are. Okay. I mean, really for me, it always comes back to the people. Okay. And so, um, yeah. Okay. I asked you who, if there was an athlete, an athlete that you would want to meet, 
Is there an author past or present that you'd want to? Yeah. So, so years and years ago, I interviewed Terry Pratchett, which was really, um, and, but in fact, it probably isn't a bad interview, but I fawned over him. I mean, I didn't ask him. I mean, like I would always assign my students when we were talking about fantasy and science fiction in the class that I, classes that I taught at UW, I would always ask my students to watch that interview because there was a lot about fantasy and all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my students would always say, oh, my God, Nancy, it was just sickening because you just fawned over him. And and plus, I mean, I didn't get I I just would have loved to just talk to him more. I mean, he's, he's, he was a brilliant, brilliant writer and it would be a better world if everybody read Terry Pratchett's, um, especially the ones with Sam Vimes. Um, so yeah, so I would love to, to see him again. Um, but he's dead, so that will not be possible. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, um, oftentimes the half an hour is just the right amount. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it isn't enough and sometimes it's too much. So. I also saw somewhere it, and I'm going to butcher what you were, the, the phrase that you were credited with is something about though, um, you you recommended if so, Neuromancer by William Gibson. Yeah. Why? Well, I th- you know I I interviewed William Gibson, and I was. It wasn't for the TV show; it was for a public thing, and and I was, I don't get nervous, um, you know, anymore. Like I interviewed Tom Hanks in at the Seattle Opera mm-hmm. uh, House a couple of years ago for his collection of short stories. And I, I don't, I really don't get nervous about that, about interviewing. Um, but I was really nervous about William Gibson because I know I figured he didn't suffer fools gladly and I didn't want, you know, to ask stupid questions. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit challenging. Um, but I came to William Gibson only after I had fallen in love with Neil Stevenson's Cryptonomicon, which is, again, one of my, I would say, 10 favorite, you know, 10 all-time favorite books. Wow. I loved, I loved Cryptonomicon. And, um, oh, because it's historic, it's a historical novel, it's... Oh, oh it's great. It's a great book. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great book. And Neuromancer you know, really the kind of punk part of science fiction, um, I, I think was really great in those books. Have Have you read Gibson's other works? I, I read um, some, mostly, yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. I, I enjoy his books in a very awkward, I have a very awkward relationship with them. They're just kind of 
I feel like I'm 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 riding a car with bad shocks on a dirty road or a uh, dirt road. I'm bouncing around. I'm not quite sure. I'm get and, and he weaves things together. Um, it, yeah. I when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember when I first read that, and it was so uh, groundbreaking. Sounds a little yeah, no, it was groundbreaking, but it was sure. it really was, and it was like wow. And I'm not a science fiction fan. Yeah, I, I really. Neil and, 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 and William Gibson are the only two authors that I, that I read uh-huh. um, uh, that way. So you interview, wow, that's, that's very cool. So we've talked about you this whole show. We really haven't talked about Washington State, which is really unusual for me. we got to talk about Washington State for a little bit. You say you go on long walks and halfway through you go to Starbucks. I know you're a tea drinker, though. So you're not I going am. there for coffee, are you? No. But you also told me on the phone that your granddaughter brought coffee into the house. She did. Didn't didn't work on you? Didn't it didn't couldn't convert you over to the No. <laughs> no. So what do you drink at Starbucks? What's your what's your go-to drink when you're on a walk? Oh, it, it's this is all I ever get at Starbucks. So it's a um an English breakfast tea. Yeah. A tall English breakfast tea and a venti cup with water almost up to the top and three Splendas and some very foamy steam non-fat milk that they can scoop on. Interesting. I'm really an Anglophile, so it's always... That's interesting. Okay. All right. You stumped me. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a retort. <laughs> I've never heard anybody drink a beverage. So I used to work at Starbucks uh, oh. in, in the corporate offices many years ago. And, and part of the training back then, and part of the reason I wanted to work there was that I got this coffee training because I, I love coffee. And part of my, you know, initiation to the, to the, the, the company, I had to go work in one of the stores. I had to go work in the store in West Seattle just, just for a night. I only had to do a night. And I think this person must've been a plant. I think they must send this person into all, all new breweries. And I can't remember what it was, but I'm not exaggerating when I say it was like, I'd like a venti mocha with six shots of this and four pumps of that and two Splendas and a, and a, and a sweet and low and pure cane sugar, but you need to put it in this. And it was like, you know, why would you right. know, I right. like black coffee, but you know, so, but your drink, I've never heard that combination. <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting actually so i don't think i'm offending anybody when i say starbucks isn't really known for tea where's a great place for tea in seattle oh see i only go to starbucks really yeah you don't you don't go to the so what tea do you drink at home do you drink tea at home why during trader joe's irish breakfast tea okay okay so you're not somebody that's going to go to these like coffee shops, I mean, I, I mean, no disrespect to tea, but like these high-end coffee shops that are right. very, you know. Right, right. No, I'm just a creature of habit. Okay, all right. And I, and you know, I know about <laughs> all the union issues, et cetera, that that are bedeviling. Yeah, I mean, um, and my sympathies are with all with the baristas. So they work really hard for what they do. They do. They work really hard for what they do. 
I remember, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but if you were to buy a latte at Starbucks, a tall latte, what do you think the most expensive component of that latte was? The barista's time. Now the cup. Oh, the cup. Huh. Yeah, the barista was like seventh or eighth on the list. Oh, wow. The cup was the the bulk. The coffee was the coffee and the barista are much lower. It was like coffee or excuse me, cup, milk, lid, coffee, barista. I mean some some somewhere like that. It was it was I was I was dumbfounded when I found out that the cup was the wow. most expensive thing. Anyway, okay. Um when you're not reading, which uh-huh. this might also go to a dead end too, but when you're not reading, what do you like to do for fun? What do you and your husband like to go do? Um, walk. Mm-hmm. Does he go with you on your walks normally? Every on Sunday, he he's a bicyclist. Okay, and and his goal is when he when he turns eighty, mm-hmm. he wants to have ridden eighty thousand miles. So wow. okay, which he will which he will do. Has he ever done the Seattle to Portland? Oh, we, we both of us did it twice. Okay. Did you complete yeah. it in one day or was it two? No, days? no, no, not one day. I'm not a slow day? but steady rider. That, that's but, all that matters. But it got too dangerous to bicycle, which is why I started walking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I felt too scared on my bike, but he continues to bike. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, like my ideal vacation is to go to England and walk on one of the national paths that they have or you know, do a canal walk. Like mm-hmm. one year we walked from Leeds to Liverpool, which is about 150 miles oh, wow. on the canal, you know, on the, on the towpath next mm-hmm. to the canal. That would be, that would be so interesting. Did you ever stay in one of the canal boats? Have you ever? No, no, but we were, we were invited aboard to see okay. what it was like. And then they took us somewhere, some, you know, some way about, you know, a couple miles down the mm-hmm. canal so we could see what it was like. I'd love to do that, but I really love to walk more. So, so in the photos I've seen of you, yeah, you appear to be short. I am very short, okay. getting shorter every day. And I'm, I'm very tall. So these boats don't sound like they'd be fun for me. Right. Did it seem claustrophobic to you, though? It is a little claustrophobic. They are narrow boats because yeah. the canals are narrow. Mm-hmm. You probably would not enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love the idea of it. I just don't think the the reality for me is okay. So, typically wrap these up because we respect your time right. around all of it. So, couple of questions. Number one, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you that we should have brought up? Um, I don't think there's anything really. I don't think there's anything. I think we had a nice wide ranging discussion. That's the goal. Okay. Um, all right. This is a very important question. Cake or pie and why? Um, okay. Um, I would say cookies. But if I have to choose between cake and pie, I would say, or that's that's harder because I was going to say cake because of the frosting. Okay. Um, but pie because you can get such good like apple pie and um, I don't know. 
impossible. An impossible, impossible question. question. So you like cookies, though. So what type of cookies? I, I, I'm not a big chocolate chip fan, but okay. peanut butter cookies I love. Peanut and snickerdoodles I love. Okay. All right. And if people want to find out more about you, that assuming that they, like myself, didn't know a whole lot about you before this conversation, where's a good place for people to find you online? So I there? think they should just Google Nancy Pearl and, and it's there. I don't have a website anymore because I just wasn't doing anything with it. Okay. So right. Nancy, thank you so much for taking <laughs> the time welcome. to sit with me today. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yep. I agree. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at explore state. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.